Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. For this episode, we are discussing 1987's Back to the Beach, an American comedy film starring Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello, directed by Lyndall Hobbs. It's kind of like a parody and a celebration of the 60s beach party films made popular by American International, and it's it's a weird movie. Not a ton of skateboarding in it. Not a ton. In fact, I watched the movie not with the intention of doing it for this podcast, just because, but just because I stumbled on it and I remembered how much I loved it. And I was... I was excited to see skateboarding in it so that we could file it into the do it on the podcast but I, then as the movie progressed i was surprised there wasn't more of it like there's a just a little touch of it and i thought considering when it was made and what you know the, the setting and everything it's it sort of surprised me that there isn't more but just enough <laughs> to, to get us uh, talking about it. I hadn't seen this movie since it first came out. It was like, you know, one of those, well, I guess I'll watch this uh, video store things. And I, my familiarity with the beach, with the original beach party movies comes from when they would be shown on uh, one of the big UHF stations in the area, WLVI, Channel 56. Uh, usually on Saturdays, they would show Creature Double Feature, the greatest show ever broadcast on television. And then they would usually show some something, either Incredible Mr. Limpet or one of these beach party movies. I think we had cable early enough that the Disney Channel would play all the, the beach blanket bingo movies and, you know, like in the middle of the day. And uh, that's where I caught most of them. I do love that Walt Disney was so annoyed by the popularity of the beach party movies, partly because, you know, Annette Funicello was a Mouseketeer and he was kind of grooming her for his own stuff. And then she went off and did these dopey beach movies. He, his, he said like, well, you can do them, but you have to wear a one piece, please. But so she did. Um, but I like that um, in the 1965 Disney movie, That Darn Cat, which stars Haley Mills, which is a movie I like way more than any beach party movie or Back to the Beach. The canoe character is always wanting to surf and go see surf movies and the Haley Mills character. So he's talking about how dumb beach party movies are. <laughs> Fantastic. I have a very early and specific memory of Channel 56 showing Beach Blanket Bingo when I was five or six years old and becoming so enamored of the mermaid character played by Marta Kristen, Judy Robinson from Lost in Space. And when the movie ended being like inconsolably distraught that she was gone from my television. I don't have any recollection of uh, of anything that intense, but I certainly remember watching them and thinking they were very, very strange films. Like, you know, I didn't have any cultural reference to, to go by. So I just thought that that's just how people acted in the 1960s. I watched Beach Blanket Bingo in preparation for this episode as well. Again, which again, I think it was the first time I've seen it since I was five or six. And it is a bizarre movie. It's you've got 69 year old Buster Keaton in there. It must, that must have been a strange time for like, well, I mean, I guess that's, that's something that happens sort of throughout cinematic history is sort of like 
older, washed up people find themselves as the, is he like the villain? No, he's just, he's Don Rickles sidekick. <laughs> oh, jeez, It's very kind of disconcerting to watch. I mean, you know, I watch it just kind of thinking like, man, time is a motherfucker. You know, even like Back to the Beach is an interesting contrast to that because obviously the Frankie and Annette character, they're playing versions of the characters they played in movies like Beach Blanket Bingo only 25 years later. The Frankie Avalon character is roughly our age now, which is tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that's like, ooh, they're the, they're the lame adults. Shit. <laughs> which they never give his character a name. They call him Big Kahuna. And in the credits, he's listed as Annette's husband. Really? Yeah, I don't know if this was to avoid too much of a lawsuit from American International because they claim it's like a parody of all beach movies. Well, that, that was the thing that I thought was was really cool when I was a when I was a kid and I first saw the movie. It's it, you know very much like you know very much like actually a lot of the movies we've discussed on this podcast. It was one of those things that seemed like it was like purposely beamed right into my world. You know, like I was it was like a little bit. It was like a wacky comedy, but it was a little bit knowing. It had like a wink to it, which I was intensely interested in. And uh, it, it was, you know, just jam-packed with every every sort of like cultural touchstone that I had, you know. Th- like the fact that Fishbone are in this movie, and so is Pee Wee Herman. And so, you know what I mean? Like there was a, there was a, I was like, this is, you know, I remember renting that movie probably a dozen times because it was like, it had girls in bikinis and Pee Wee Herman and Fishbone and, and, and like surf punks. It was certainly, you know, it was certainly right, right in my wheelhouse. And then watching it again, I was like, I was interesting. It was interesting that it was like not quite as knowing as it seemed when I was a kid, but also not quite as cheesy. It's like, it really rides this, that line. Yeah. Cause I think it was originally maybe conceived as more of a parody of the beach party movies, but the original beach party movies are goofy and don't take themselves seriously enough that it's difficult to parody something like that. So it's really more of kind of a celebration and continuation of it. I mean, it, it tweaks it tweaks the tropes of those movies a little bit, but it's, those movies were tweak, tweaking their own tropes even back then. I think I think I don't think the Beach Party movies or Back to the Beach. I don't think anyone making either thought they were making high art. I got the sense that Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon kind of enjoyed taking the piss out of themselves a little bit. You know, the running gag that she does nothing but buys Skippy peanut butter and Wonder Bread as a as a wife. You know, I, I, I could tell that there was some like there were there was some fun to be had in kind of making fun of their former selves. Yeah. And I think Frankie Avalon was one of the like driving forces behind this movie ever getting made at all. I, that, that would make sense because it's I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that the, the people were like champing at the bit to get Frankie and Annette back together. I, you know what I mean? There's a certain nostalgia about it, but it does, it it seemed it seemed like they were having a good time. I guess is what I'm saying, and I I've re- even responded to that as a kid. Yeah, and I think um, Annette Funicello in her autobiography said like this was one of her like favorite experiences in the entertainment industry. I, I think shortly after this was filmed, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and so that shuttered um, the planned sequel. But I think, you know, if 
if you're going to go out on kind of a celebration of what you had done in the 60s, I, I think this is kind of a nice tribute to those beach party movies. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, I think that's the thing. It's like, it's it's having fun with it, but it's not like that. I feel like if it, if it was made now, it would be more like, it'd be a little meaner <laughs> about about the genre, you know what I mean? It would like, the, the teeth would show a little more where, you know, when it was made and in the circumstances in which it was made, it just seems like they were like, oh, this will be fun. Now, having said that, there's a lot to comment on in this movie. <laughs> I mean, it opens with Frankie and Annette's kind of adolescent son, Bobby, who's played by Damien Slade, like doing a big exposition bomb. And he's really into the switchblade comb and in this opening scene, he's he's dressed like Rob Halford from Judas Priest in kind of a leather daddy biker outfit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's always funny. I I was the minute I saw him on screen again, I always remembered that as a young punk rock kid, any time there was supposed to be like a punk rock character on t- you know television or movies, they would like almost get it right, but then over accessorize. And that's how you end up with like the punk rock kid wearing like a studded belt as like a bandolier and the, and the, the leather like policeman's hat. I saw it. I was like, Oh, they overdid it. (laughs) Even the dangly clip on earring. Like I'm a kid who wore a sex pistols necklace when I was 12. And even I wouldn't wear a dangly clip on earring. Right. And the thing is, other than that, he really does look pretty cool. He kind of, he kind of looks like a, like Elvis Costello. He's got like the skinny tie. You know what I mean? Like it, he's, he's kind of a cool looking kid, but then you, you just, you, you add that damn leather hat. And it's like, Oh, you you overshot it. I, I remember there was the, 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 I was blown away that in, when I was a kid, there was that, that television show, my sister, Sam. And it, at one point, the, 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 the sister of Sam, I don't remember anything about the character, had like a crust punk boyfriend. And they really, if my memory serves me correctly, it was the closest they ever got. Like they had it pretty down. Like he was wearing like a crass t-shirt that was all ripped up and like black jeans and a black leather jacket. I remember when he walked on the screen, I was like, wow, they, I think the only thing they got wrong is he may have been wearing a a studded belt bandolier, which is, you know, never, never, uh, I've never seen that out in the wild, but I can also comment Kevin that I was, uh, before I started watching the movie, I was so certain that the kid was going to be played by the kid who was the bratty actor in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Jason Hervey? Jason Hervey. I was so convinced that that kid played the son that when the kid ended up on screen, I thought I was watching the wrong movie. Like, I, I was 100% certain that that would... I mean, it would make sense that it would be that kid. It turns out it's the kid who wants his $2 in, uh, in Better Off Dead. And I think he, that kid is really hilarious in the movie. I love the sequence where he keeps insisting that his nickname is Knife, and they keep saying, you want us to call you Nice? <laughs> Just call me Bobby. <laughs> I feel like whenever you have punk rock stuff on screen, there's usually, I always get the sense that there's like one person involved in the production who knows what's what. And they're like, oh, like, get the crass t-shirt. But then someone else is like, no, 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 we got to bandolier them up. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like they they come close and then it's somehow not punk enough 
And so suddenly they're wearing the dangly earring. I'm trying to think like what I've seen that's gotten it right. Because even like, I, you know, that I hated that movie, SLC Punk. Um, I hated, um, was it Dudes? Like it never felt like actual, I mean, Suburbia, the kids in Suburbia looked like punks because Penelope Spheris just filmed actual punk kids from LA. So I guess that would be one. And, you know, the kid lives in Ohio with his parents, Frankie and Annette. Frankie's looking like remarkably tan for an Ohio resident. <laughs> right. That's true. Well, he is a car dealer, Kevin. It's, it's all about the face with those guys. They're going to go on vacation to Hawaii, but on their way to Hawaii, they stop in California to visit their daughter, played by a pre-college uh, admission scandal, Lori Laughlin, um, before she became hardened by her stint in the joint. But one of the things, and this is very odd to me, is they're flying to Hawaii. They're like, oh, well, we're going to stop off in California and say hi to our daughter. They never actually go to Hawaii. They just stay in California. I'm not sure why the script wasn't, we'll fly to California and vacation there and visit our daughter. The only thing that I, I read that as is that I felt like Frankie Avalon's character kind of wanted to avoid going back to the beach but the funny thing is they, they abandon that almost immediately. Like there's, it's almost like they hadn't, because I think at one point Frankie and Annette get in a fight and all, he just, he just says, I'm, I'm going home. <laughs> but he like, no one ever discusses the fact that they, and the other thing that made, that made me laugh was that they only have a 10 hour layover, layover, which is one of those funny things that doesn't, it doesn't age well, because if you only had a 10 hour layover in 2020, or 21 you wouldn't even leave the airport <laughs> like there would you there would be not enough time to leave the airport go visit your daughter and then go back through security and get on the plane maybe you'd have your daughter come to the airport to go to one of the airport restaurants you could have a a, a delicious lunch at panera and then get back in line <laughs> yeah so they're in california uh when they get speaking of people in the movie before their stints in prison, OJ Simpson's in the airport. Oh, that's right. You know, I'm so th- that's funny because was there was there like a running gag in real life that OJ Simpson was clumsy? I think it was a play on the FedEx commercials he did. Okay. Because I just remember him in the Naked Gun movies, he just keeps getting into misadventures with being clumsy. And I was like, oh, is that like a I I think it also might be because he was this star running back and such like a famous athlete, it's funny in a movie to then have this, you know, incredibly precise football star be clumsy. Someone who's used to like running across a whole football field, like he can't even run across the airport without tripping. I think that's the gag. That that plays to me. Yeah, I was surprised to see the the, the OJ on the screen there. I have now dropped more sports knowledge on this podcast than I ever thought I would. Right. Yeah. You seem like you, you seem like the guy, the go-to guy for the sports knowledge there, Kevin. So the family goes to visit Lori Laughlin. She's living with her uh, boyfriend, Michael, who's kind of dressed in some ocean Pacific garb. He's a surfer. She doesn't want her parents to know that she's living with the boyfriend. There's a lot of kind of threes companies, shenanigans of like jump out the window here. And that's sort of when the plot really kicks in where Frankie and Annette sort of fall out, but don't really, they're making it. I think they're trying to mirror the plots of the beach party movies. He doesn't want his daughter mess, you know, messing around 
around. He knows those surfer types, Kevin, for he himself was one. They go to a nightclub where Dick Dale and the Deltones are playing. Dick Dale and his haircut. I was going to say, I have a note here. This is Dick Dale has very interesting hair in this movie. The 80s were not kind to Dick Dale, I guess. No, and like, you know, after Pulp Fiction hit, Dick Dale, I think, achieved something of a surge in popularity and would tour more. And so like, I saw Dick Dale several times in the 90s and he did not have that haircut. <laughs> right. Well, I, it, it looks very much like a, I, you know, it's the 80s and I'm living in LA haircut. It's like kind of a pompadour, but it's also long in the back. It's kind of a pompadour mullet. It's not a good look for anyone. It was rough. Like Buster Keaton and Beach Blanket Bingo comes off better than than Dick Dale with that mullet. That is a that is a, a harsh indictment, Kevin. <laughs> I gotta call them like I see them. I liked the beach club scenes. I thought, you know, that Frankie gets up and sings a song with Dick Dale and the Deltones. I thought it had I thought the beach bar, because it was like some of the beach punks and some just regular people, that actually reminded me of what beach bars are like because every sort of person sort of winds up at the beach bar. If you don't mind if I go off on a tangent here, it reminded me of one time my wife and I wound up at this club called the, in Key Largo called the Caribbean Club, where scenes from the film Key Largo were shot. And it was like karaoke night. There, there was kind of like a group of business people who were in town for a conference. They're also kind of like the townie locals. And by the end of the night, the townies and the business people were doing duets together there was one dude who came over to our table who like this was the self-professed mayor of the Caribbean club who got so drunk that night that in February, and I remember this so clearly, he performed like the chestnuts roasting on an open fire Christmas song, <laughs> sitting in a chair with his back to the audience. <laughs> wow. That's so I felt like the, like we, the beach party scene, the beach club scene was weirdly kind of, accurate i mean i didn't have you know the weird saved by the bell-esque production values i liked that vibe of like everyone's at the beach club right they're just out there having fun in the warm california sun speaking of the beach punks they're led by kind of a doofus named zed who has installed himself as kind of like a mad max post-apocalyptic feudal lord i think at one point he says i am god here which is interesting which again is like a plot point from the old beach party movies with the biker gangs. Now they're punks. Right. And they, they've cordoned off a section of the beach for themselves. And, and Bobby finds himself uh, in league with them because he's trying to reinvent himself as sort of a badass. Yeah. He takes his dad's credit card and buys them all ATVs. (laughs) I guess uh, Frankie's doing well enough that he could, uh, he can absorb the price of a couple of ATVs for his son's advancement socially, I guess. Yeah, an article in the Los Angeles Times at around the time of this movie came out uh, indicated that the film had 17 writers. And I think maybe that's where you see how maybe not everyone was on the same page while making this movie. Not every thread got followed all the way through to its uh, to its conclusion, which would also explain why they never mention Hawaii again. Exactly. You know, Gilligan's the bartender. And it's not Bob Denver playing a bartender character. It's Bob Denver playing Gilligan as a bartender. And the inevitable appearance of the, the skipper <laughs> finally comes in the uh, in the in one of the final scenes. I thought that was interesting. I want to get back to Fishbone 
who you may, who brought up early in this because Annette sings a song with Fishbone where she invents ska music. I think is what happens. She doesn't get enough credit for that. I feel it's not talked about enough in the uh, in the in the annals of of uh, ska and reggae history. And Fishbone, I mean, I love Fishbone. I don't think Fishbone give even a hint of what a mighty band they were. Right. It's, it, it's a pretty tame performance by all estimations. It makes you wonder, like, how did they get that call? Like, were they a popular enough band in LA that they were just like, get Fishbone on the phone? Or I don't know the story there. Um, Lyndall Hobbs, the director, came from music videos. It's possible she was a fan. Again, it's possible someone working on the movie was a Fishbone fan and was like, because I don't think Fishbone, most of the other kind of guests in this movie are kind of a draw to like a general audience. Like Pee Wee Herman was popular at the time. Everyone knows Gilligan. Everyone knows Don Adams. Fishbone, I think were a bit more obscure. It's probably just, they were popular with someone making the movie in LA. They needed someone to do this ska song. Let's give Fishbone a call. Hey, I'm not, I can't hate on it. I thought it was great. Cause, cause that was, I was like, just old enough when the movie first came out that I was like, whoa, that, I know who that band is. That's Fishbone. And that made me feel like uh, I knew what I was talking about, <laughs> which, which is important for a teenage kid. Especially when watching Back to the Beach, where you're like, I need to feel hip watching this movie. I need to. I, well, I, I will. I, when I was a kid, I thought it was a very hip movie. I thought it was it was it, it made it. it hit all the right notes for me at that age. Well, I do th- I do think this kind of hit at a time when things that are knowingly camp hit the mainstream. And this maybe was on a crest with that, along with things like, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And speaking of Pee-wee, uh, Paul Rubens plays his most famous character in this movie. He shows up out of nowhere to sing Surf and Bird. And then I was he he does a he does a rousing version of Surfing Bird and then magically flies away on a on a surfboard with handlebars, which is if a it's never explained who he is in the movie. B he flies away on a surfboard. C he does the poorest lip syncing job I may have ever seen in a motion picture, but it's a great scene, and that's where there's some skateboarding too. Yeah, and I know around the same time. Frankie and Annette appeared in Pee-wee's Christmas special, which is the greatest pop cultural achievement of the 20th century. Maybe there's a bit of quid pro quo there. And then at the end, there's a big um, surfing competition for control of the beach, which I think is how property disputes were handled in 1987 in California. Well, especially in LA. It's a beach culture, Kevin. It's a little bit hard for us to relate to. But yeah, they had to battle it out. A lot of movies in the 80s end with some sort of contest of skill like that. Like you had mentioned Better Off Dead with the $2 kid, how that is the ski thing. And there's boat races and One Crazy Summer and Summer Rental. And this has the surfing contest. So it seems like, again, this is of like one of the 17 screenwriters was like, well, this is how movies have to end in the 1980s. I mean, we just saw Thrashing, and that you know ended in a in a duel in a drainage ditch, and then a downhill race. And then you know, Frankie defeats the punks. My favorite of the punks, I think, is the mustachioed, balding, middle-aged punk who only communicates through growling. Yeah, he uh, he seems like a, a good dude. Oh, and another like side note about the punks in the scene where they're hanging out with the son character, the song in the background, "I Hate You." is the same punk song that was written 
for Star Trek for the voyage home. That song was written for the Star Trek movie. I mean, this was also produced by Paramount. They're like, well, why, why should we like license a punk song when we can just use this fake punk song we had written for Star Trek? Perfect. You know, this movie was not like a monstrous hit. I think it made $13 million, but it was on a budget of $7.87. So I think everyone, I, I think it was considered a success enough that they were talking about doing a sequel before Annette Funicello's MS diagnosis. Yeah, I, I had not heard that. That would have been a, I want, I, I, we can only wonder what the, uh, what, what the cat, where the characters would have been at that point. I feel like they would have just stayed at the beach. Um, I had heard they were supposed to go on like an African safari, uh, maybe, maybe biting a bit from endless summer. I remember when I was a kid, that, that whole California beach culture seemed so far out of the, you know, the realm that I was growing up in in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, that I, you know, there's that really small, that really quick shot pretty early in the movie of like a big panning shot of the beach. And there was kids like riding their skateboards over like plywood that had been set down on the beach for them to skate. And I remember as a kid thinking like, is that like a thing that really happens? Like now I realize it was something they just did to have that in the shot. But as a kid, it was, it was very alluring to me that there would be this culture that would just like be just allow a skate ramp on the beach in the middle of in the middle of everything well it's interesting too in that i figured at some point over the course of this podcast we would get into the connection between surf culture and skate culture i thought it would be via dogtown or even blue crush but we're doing it through back to the beach um because i I think skateboarding originally came out of surf culture it was originally called sidewalk surfing absolutely there was like a a huge wave of popularity because of the those surf movies and like you know it made surfing kind of available to the midwestern kid you know you could buy this like you know uh relatively cheap wooden toy and yeah all of the original skateboarding moves were sort of mirroring surf moves where you would like ride up a driveway and do like a, a kind of a layback turn and then go, you know, you were, you were trying to mirror even early pool skateboarding, you know, the inside of a pool kind of mirrored a wave, the crest of a wave. So they, they certainly are intrinsically linked. It's just in this movie, I think it was just like skateboarding was used more as just like a, a part of the pastiche of like beach culture, which is why I was surprised there wasn't more of it. I thought there was, it seemed to me that there should have been a shot of a kid riding by on a skateboard in almost every scene, like on the boardwalk or whatever. Yeah. Michael, the boyfriend character had a skateboard in their apartment that he like hid under the bed, but there, and there was a little bit of skateboarding during Pee Wee's big number, but I felt like Pee Wee's big number, you know, they were trying to Busby Berkeley style, just throw everything they could in there. Um, and there, there wasn't much beyond that, but I get, you know, they had to, they had a lot of business to get to, a lot of plot business to get into with people, Frankie and Annette being jealous of each other and you got to save the beach. Bobby needs to learn to love his parents. Michael and Laurie Laughlin need to profess their love for each other. There's a lot going on here. So I, I could see how they could only, they could only get in as much skateboarding as they could. Right. It's too bad too. At the end, Bobby's kind of a sellout. He stops. He he stops wearing his punk rock finery and uh, and and ends up just dressing like his dad, which is a fun. Well, that's one of those funny, weird m- movie messages from the eighties, where it's like, in the end, conform. <laughs> that always bugged me about like any eighties movie that 
show. Like, why can't he still dress like Rob Halford, but be nicer to his parents? <laughs> right, right. It's like he's got to wear the shark skin suit in order to relate to his dad. So did you like this movie? Yeah, I, I, I found it to be a little bit more uh, cheesy as an adult than I, 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 as a kid, I remember thinking it was like a pretty hit movie. And I'm not saying it wasn't, but it was, especially at the end when everything sort of starts to unravel and it just sort of turns back into like a, like a, you know, like a cheesy eighties comedy. But other than I, it, I don't know if this, I don't want to use the cliche. It held up well, but I certainly enjoyed the hell out of it when I was a little kid. And I, really enjoyed it as an adult. I, I, I thought it was like just silly and over the top and kind of the, 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 the tone maintained for me. I thought it was fun. And especially, you know, under the circumstances in which I watched it more recently, I needed something that was just sort of like comforting. And I put it on and I was like, all right, yeah, this is, this isn't going to require much of me. I don't know if this is like a good movie, but it's a likable movie. Yeah, man. I, uh, it was overall, it was a, it was an enjoyable watch. I don't know that I'd watch it again. Maybe when I'm like 65 and I'm slowly losing it, I can. You can come to it at different stages of your life and it'll play differently. (laughs) It's like the giving tree. Yes. Right. Very much like the giving tree. I'll go back as an, as an older man and I'll sit on the stump of that movie and contemplate my life. Before we uh, exit, if I could do a quick plug of one of my other appearances. So I'd mentioned in the last episode that I was doing that virtual panel for Dragon Con on weird Christmas stuff. And that is now up on the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics YouTube page. It's called Donkeys and Arters Christmas Gets Weird. And the weekend of January 15th, I am going to be a panelist at the Virtual Aresia Science Fiction Fantasy Convention. So if uh, you would like to check that out the schedule's not fully posted yet but i believe friday night i'm on a panel about the television show schitt's creek on saturday night i am on a panel about comfort food media and how that's gotten people through the pandemic and on monday afternoon i am appearing on a panel about comic books in the year 1986 and uh, i'm appearing on that panel uh with my pal kevin eldridge from the great podcast the Flopcast. so if you are so inclined you should uh go to aresia.org and get yourself a registration and check me out there i would love to have you there thanks everyone for listening thank you for listening our website is gleamingthetube.net we're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime.